I'm so glad to be with you. I love y'all. I love y'all. This is, this is home, and you, you are always uh, first and foremost in my heart. So I'm glad to be with you today. I hope you guys are having a good Sunday. Was worship not everything? Right. You should be checking like your heart rate and what you, what you burned during worship because that was some good stuff. I'm so glad to be with you as we wrap up summer and then we'll have another little break before we kick off Bible study and I'll be glad to be back for the fall. Um, it has been a, a really good time away, time to reflect, time to just, just be with God and focus on, on who he is. And we got to spend um, a little bit of time in Jamaica. As you know, Pastor is Jamaican and so we make sure we get back there pretty often. And uh, now uh, my children uh, are eligible for vacation because in my family you got to be five to go on vacation and so don't I'm not judging you don't judge me but sand and strollers and diapers is not my jam so I'm like if you cannot remember said vacation you shall not participate so it's okay it is all right and so we had a few years of just just vacation and then now the children are they're eligible <laughs> so um, they, they've had a good time and we were there and it doesn't matter how many times I go to Jamaica. I've been there at least 50 times. It never gets old. You, you might have some places, your favorite places, your parks, your lakes or wherever you might go. There's some spaces where you're just like, how do people not see God's hand all over this? And so one particular night we were standing and watching a sunset, you know, like you're trying to capture with your phone and I don't care what kind of phone you got. It should be an Android, but I don't care what kind of phone you have. Saints, there's some saints in the house. I'm talking to you this morning. <laughs> Whatever your phone is, I don't care how great it is. There will never be something invented that can create what God does. And so you're looking at it and you're taking 62 pictures and you're like, forget it. I'm about to miss the sunset. I'm just going to stare at it. And so old school, right? We were just staring at this sunset and I knew it was particularly breathtaking because a crowd had begun to gather and everybody is talking. You're walking and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like sometimes it just catches your breath. And so we're all standing there staring, captivated. And two young girls walked up, and, and they, too, were captivated. And they decided to say, you know what? That is a beautiful sunset. Come on, can you get me right here? Here, use my phone, get my phone. And so for the next 15 minutes, they took that sunset and let that be the backdrop to some very fabulous pictures. I know they were good because it was 127 angles taken. And so it was like, here, okay, move, 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 look. So it was the whole the whole thing. And I'm not judging because we all love a good photo. We, we all love a good backdrop. But as I'm watching them and all of these other people are just captivated with the sunset itself, it was one of those moments where God just says, listen, this is a metaphor for where we are in our culture. And this is not a bash on them because I do it too. But in that moment, God was saying, here's what happens when you take something that should be front and center and make it your backdrop. Here's what happens when you're more obsessed with how you look in front of the thing than the creator himself. And when I, when I started thinking about that, I thought about some of the struggles we have in our culture and in the church. And I really think that we have become obsessed with the wrong reflection. We've become obsessed with how we look in front of things. Life has become something that just makes us feel good, supports our endeavors. Everything is about us. And as Christians, if you're a believer, we are created to glorify God. 
Now, if you're not a believer this morning, I'm still glad you're here. I want you to learn what our holy God expects of us. Because can I tell you, this, this church, not one community, the global church and our culture is misrepresenting the call to faith that God has given us. You may not be the person that struggles with selfies. Maybe that's not your thing. You're like, Jade, I'm old school. I got a flip phone. I'm not taking no nothing. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But, but maybe there's some other questions you can ask yourself to, to see if you're obsessed with the wrong reflection. It, it, could it be that maybe you focus on teaching that is always about you? Every single scripture in the Bible is about something God is going to do for you. His provision, who needs to leave your life, how to address the haters, how to be blessed, how to prosper, how to be delivered, how to be better, make your marriage better, make your business better. This is what God has for you. Victory, 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 deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. Nothing wrong with those things. They're great, but they are not preeminent. So we have become a culture that looks for what I kind of call the angle on prosperity. So back in the day, health and wealth and prosperity theology was very clear, it was very evident. Like people were like, you're going to go home, it's going to be a car in your garage, and you're like, I didn't, I didn't see the car, I'm trying another church. And so you just, that was a thing. And, and if you grew up and you knew, you knew what uh, Christian faith looked like in the 80s and even the 90s, you saw what it was like for people to pack out stadiums to do healing and to do all these things. And so what happened was people said, oh, that's prosperity, Mm-mm, we're not doing that. And so Christians said, well, we're, we're just going to say this is the Bible and we're not going to fall into this health and wealth. But what has happened? is that even though we are not as obvious about it, we have still found this subtle drift where everything that we are learning and teaching and singing about somehow is about us. Somehow, an entire Bible that is primarily about God and secondarily about others, we have somehow taken everything and made it be about us. If you, you need to ask yourself when you're listening to something, when you're moved by something, what did that teach me about God? What did that teach me about God? What did I just learn about God from that moment? Because that real, I mean, she dropped those nuggets in 30 seconds and he dropped this. You know what? I do need to drop a heart right there. I agree with that. What did that teach me about God? How did I learn about God's character from that thing that just got me excited? I mean, it's even hard to find songs that just talk about God. Listen. I love promises. I love me, some Jehovah Jireh. I love all the things that God does. But I need to love God more than what God does. And so when I stand in a room, I know if we're singing deliverer and protector and all those things, we laid out at the altar. But let somebody get up here like Miss Naya did today and just go in on your holy. We kind of like, I mean, he all holy, but gosh, Lord, I still need some stuff from you. But, but, let, but let we talk about a, a praise report. Somebody been healed, been blessed. Oh, that's my God right there. Yeah, he's good. Let me tell you something. Before God is good, God just is. Before he's Jehovah Jireh, he's just Jehovah. And, and I know some of y'all fancy. We know Rapha and Shalom. And if you're real righteous, you know Jehovah Sitkanu. You're like, yes, I know all. I know some Hebrew. Before he's all of those things. He's just Jehovah. And we have believed in a faith that needs God to perform before we can give worship. We need God to do something for us like he has not already done enough. And so then we present to a world that needs hope. Hope. 
when, when the marriage is not getting better and unemployment is still rampant and kids are still crazy. They need hope before the situation changes that just Jehovah alone is enough. Not because he's going to fix it, but because he is the fix. And then whatever else he does after that is just gravy. So we have to understand what the right reflection is. We have to drift away from the self-centeredness that I think has drawn us in in our culture. And I'm going to spend a few moments today in the Old Testament. We're going to go back old school because I know we love the New Testament. The New Testament gives us some quick little bullets, some points. But a lot of times you don't know what the New Testament is affirming because we haven't done the work in the Old Testament. The God, God, God didn't change. Jesus is God. The Father and the Son are the same. They have the same values, the same precepts, the same principles. And the more you read the Old Testament, the more you'll see how Jesus was speaking to the Old Testament. And so when we think about who God is, who he's called us to be, Exodus chapter 20 is a great place to start. It's the good old-fashioned Ten Commandments. And I want to walk through that just for a few moments with you today so we can really start to see who God is, what he expects of us. Because the goal is that we don't spend more time trying to deal with the unfavorable conditions in our life. That we spend more time trying to check the condition of our heart. That we have kind of bought into a culture that says life should be good, you should be happy, all relationships should be good, you should be promoted, you should be successful, things should be okay all the time. And if they're not, just pray and then God will fix it. And that is not the faith. You cannot read scripture consistently and get that message. And so my, my fear is that not only do we, do we present a wrong message to the, to the world, I'm wondering, what's the state of the church? Are we really believers? Are we saved or are we just church attenders? Because if I'm saved, the Holy Spirit convicts me much more about the foolishness in my heart than he promises blessings in my future. He's like, girl, first of all, I saved you from hell. Second of all, you got heaven. Anything between that is extra. Right now, I need you to live like you know me. Get your life. I'm not trying to give you the perfect life. You need to get your life. That's what he tells me. So I don't walk away from scripture every time doing a dance and doing a jig. Sometimes I'll be like, Lord, that's enough today. That's enough on today. And he's like, mm-mm, come here, come with me. But it's out of love. But when I present that God to a world, guess what? When, when they didn't close on the house and I closed on the house, we can still love God. When, when, when I didn't get the job, but they got the job, we still love God because we don't love him because of what he's doing. We love the same God, and we know that he shows up in everybody's life in different ways, but he alone is enough. And so when we look through Exodus chapter 20, we look at the Ten Commandments, we look at who God has said he is. He reminds us we are created for his glory, church, created in his image and for his purpose we see in Genesis over and over through scripture, God says, you are here for my name's sake. My, not your reflection. You should be reflecting me. You should be reflecting me to the culture. The goal is not our best life. The goal is God's greatness. And that is a mental shift. It's a mental shift. And it's not going to trend on YouTube and you're not going to get a lot of likes. But one day, you're going to stand before a savior. He's not going to look at your likes and your trends. He's not going to look at anything else, but did you do what I asked you to do? When people encountered you, did they encounter the true version of me? Who did you bring here in my name? And that's the well done that we want. Not the one here on earth. We want the well done in heaven. So 
Exodus chapter 20, God gives us these commandments. And it's kind of interesting because he starts off with who he is. And y'all listen, I, I, love, I love declaring who I am in Jesus. I love it. Child of king, daughter of king, chosen, all these things that, you know, I'm the head and not the tail. Listen, we go in on, let somebody come over here and say, you the head and not the tail. People are like, ah. I mean, we just lay out, you, you are delivered, you are healed, you are free. Listen, all those things are great. But if you don't know why, <laughs> you don't know why, what for, then it doesn't matter. First Peter tells us, yes, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But here's why. So that you might proclaim, not your excellency, the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. For once... You were not a people. You had no identity. But now you are a people. So you are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. But it's for the proclamation of his excellency. He didn't make you royal so that you can tell your haters, I'm royal, don't come for me. I'm a child of the king. Guess what? Your haters probably royal too. They love Jesus too. So who, who are you talking to? We all royal acting foolish. And just because you're royal don't mean you're loyal to the king. See, you can be royal and be rogue. You get out there and you like the name. You like being an inheritor. We like being sons and daughters of the king, but I'm going to get out here and do my own thing. Then when I get into crisis, oh, king, 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 king. Okay, now I'm back to doing my own thing. I'm a daughter of the, oh, king, king, ooh, 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 ooh. They're coming for me. Yeah, because you put yourself out there and not me. So you have all of these things, church. But you need to know why. God says, I've given, you, I've, I've given you blessings in abundance, but it is to be used for my name. Exodus chapter 20, he starts off verse 1 and 2 before he even gets into the commandments. He says, then God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, y'all, it's about to get deep already. First of all, these commandments are summarized uh, by Jesus several times throughout the Gospels, three times in the Gospels. Matthew 22, and, he, and when they ask him, what are the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? And he's like, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And Mark adds strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's, the, that's the first commandment, and the second is like it. Because Jesus is saying, listen, the Ten Commandments didn't go away. It's just that now you don't fulfill them in order to achieve heaven. You live them because you have heaven. So he's saying, listen, I need you to understand that everything in scripture hangs on loving God with all of who you are and then loving your neighbor and I'm looking for the in-between where he's like and you having a good life and you you setting boundaries and making sure nobody's toxic to you and make sure you cut folks off and let come what where he says listen love God and love people and so Exodus 20 gives us the breakdown of what Jesus is saying. God sets off this whole thing by saying who he is. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God is speaking to them and he kicks it off with, I am the Lord, your God. Now, he didn't say, I'm a good God. I'm your faithful God. I'm, first, I'm just the Lord, your God. I am, which is what he told Moses when Moses had the question of who will I say? I am that I am. He didn't say, I'm your deliverer. I'm Jehovah Nisi, I'm your banner. I am. I, I cause myself to exist. That's what it means. He's the self-existent one. He has no source. He has no origin. He has no beginning. He has no ending. 
He cannot be made better. He can't be improved upon. He cannot be developed. He has no need. He has no constraints. And anybody and anything that's not God completely depends on God. He is the I am. He says, I am Jehovah. I am the one that this is all about. I'm setting this first because as I give you what's about to come next, you need to know who I am. And then in his goodness, he says, I am the one who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He didn't need to say that, y'all. He could have just said, I am. Now, here's, here's how it's going to go. He could have he said, I'm the one that created heavens and earth. I'm the one that sits outside of time. He did not. You know what he did? He made it personal. He said, I am the Lord your God. Don't need you. I got this on my own. Everything you have, I've given to you. has been by my permission. I have no origin. I sustain myself. I need nothing. But I am your God. This is personal. And it don't have to be. He could be a God that just sits high but does not look low. He's a God that says, even though I have no need for you, I desire you. Even though you cannot make me better, I love you. He, he cannot give more love and more power because there's no state beyond perfection. He says, I don't need you to do my work in the earth. I choose you. And guess what? I'm not choosing you out of ignorance. This is not dating when everybody's looking good and then by marriage you're like, oh, ooh, we. He's like, I know who you are, and I'm still choosing you. I know what you're going to do after you come to me, and I'm still going to choose you. Because we love a before Jesus testimony, right? I, I, those are great. But if you're like me, you got most of your testimony after Jesus. You came to the Lord and was still a fool. And so you got to get up here and be like, well, I was saved, but I was ratchet. I was ratchet in Christ Jesus. And so I'm now I'm on a new path to deliverance. Everybody's testimony is not before they met the Lord. Some of us met the Lord and got more foolish. So he's saying, I know all these things and I still choose you. And here's specifically what he reminds them of, that he is their deliverer. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says that because it is critical that you understand God must first be your deliverer before you follow his direction. If you choose to follow God's direction, like many societies are built on the Ten Commandments, but if you choose to just follow the direction of God, you just want to come in, sit down, get some good Bible teaching because it's a good moral book, which a lot of people use it for, but he's not your deliverer, that's just moralism. That is not a life of faith. He says, you need to know that I, I have personal relationship with you. You have to believe on me, which, by the way, this is an illusion. This is alluding to the gospel that Jesus delivers us first, and then he directs our lives. He's saying, listen, I delivered you, and now I'm going to give you direction. And here's, here's the truth about it. Sometimes you need to remember the details of your deliverance because when that direction gets hard, you need to go back to what he saved you from. So when he's saying, I want you to forgive, you're like, but God, do you know? Do you know? Well, first of all, that's rhetorical. Of course he knows. But you're like, but can you believe? He's like, oh, hold on. We need to go back to, hold on. Let me see what I took you out of. Okay, do you remember that situation you were in? You didn't even ask for me. You ran from me. I chased you and got you out of that. I saved you. And so now what's the struggle now with forgiveness? Oh, okay, so when direction gets hard, I need to remember the details of my deliverance. Because when he told Israel, I took you out of Egypt, I took you out of slavery, they're not just reading it like one sentence like we are. They're thinking about the experience. When we were saved because of the blood of the lamb was on the doorposts. When the plagues came, 
to get Pharaoh to get his life together. When the Red Sea parted, just so some foolish people could escape the people who had enslaved them. And then they get into the wilderness and there's manna coming from heaven. And there's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And there's sweet water coming out of a bitter rock. On and on and on. So when he says that, they're thinking, this is all of the countless ways my God has delivered me. That's the thing that we have to know. Because there's things in your testimony, in your story, no one else will ever know. You have to keep that before you. Because the call to faithfulness and holiness is hard. But if I remember the foolishness, the hopelessness that God saved me from, it will give me a different perspective on the life he's calling me to. So he says, listen, I'm your deliverer, saved you from Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then he launches into the commandments, the very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. Seems so simple. He says, basically, love me only, love me first. I don't share. I don't get down like that. It's me. It's me alone. Have no other gods before me. This is a call to faithfulness. He says, you, you need to be completely committed and faithful to me. You should be committed and faithful to me because I created you. But I'm saying, in addition to creation, let me throw deliverance out there. I've saved you from yourself. And so all I'm saying is, as I've delivered you, I've delivered you to be a people that reflect me to the culture. I don't want you to think about your reflection, Israel. I want you to think about how you can reflect me. That's what it means. That was the whole original intent of a chosen people. Not because Israel and Jews were better. They were chosen. God was trying to find a remnant who could represent him in the world. It failed. Jesus had to come. Paul had talked to the Gentiles. Here we are again. And now we still got a lot of people who want to do their own thing. He says, I am the Lord your God. You are not your own God. And y'all listen, this culture will never say, tell you to say, I am my own God. But when I act in defiance of who God's asked me to be, I'm being my own God. When I choose things that God does not choose for me, I'm being my own God. And just because you ask for forgiveness later on does not mean that you're not a usurper. In the moment, I want to be my own God, Lord, and can you come bless me? And we got a culture that feeds it, feeds it. Everybody got to start their own business. Entrepreneurialism is at an all-time high. Everybody is a brand. Nobody want to work for nobody. Everybody is an island. I am my own world. I'm my own world. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But if you're not subjected to Jehovah, then that means you're trying to compete with Jehovah. And you know it's not a competition. So then you're like, why is my life miserable? And he's like, because you're running it. <laughs> That's why. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I know for me, when I get stressed or anxious and I'm like overwhelmed, I have to stop. Because as smart as I think I am, and I think I'm smart, as strategic as I, all my skills, and the Lord be like, listen, your stuff stops about right here. And what you need to do is out there. Who is going to mind the gap, as they would say? Who is going to fill in that gap? And so then I have to stop. And if I'm, if I'm foolish, if I think Jada is good as Jehovah, then I will just start to plan harder and work harder and think more and strategize more. But when I know who God is, not that I even have the answer, but when I start to feel all of my creatureness in light of my creator, I stop and I say, God, I need you to take over. 
And I cannot tell you how many times in recent years I've taken my little self to bed when problems were unsolved. And I've just stopped in the middle and I'm like, God, you got it. I clearly don't got it. One more hour of staying awake is not going to give it to me. And I'm just going to have attitude the next day. Let me go to bed. Let me just rest. Let me realize my limitation, my finiteness. And when I'm in that space, guess what? God is glorified. And so you know what happens? Even in the small things, I come to a meeting or I have to go do something. And it just seems so trivial, so small. And then I get to tell that team or tell those people, y'all know what? God gave me all this this morning in about 15 minutes. Wasn't for lack of planning, not poor discipline, but I came to the end of myself. I didn't even, and they say, oh, this was great, this was great. Don't be impressed. I didn't do none of it. I went to bed, and when I woke up, this is what God did. And he did it. He did it so that I could talk about him. That's why he did it. Not so I could be like, you know I'm strategic and whatnot. So I could talk about him. In the smallest of opportunities, putting together a meeting agenda, figuring out how a team's going to run, having a conversation with someone, saying, I didn't do it on my own. Didn't do it. Didn't know what to say. What I was going to say, the Holy Spirit told me not to say. So what I'm saying to you now, because it's loving, you know it's God. Because I already know my struggles. So I have all these moments, right, to, to say, he is the Lord my God. Every little opportunity that I take success or credit. It's my idea. Just been hurt, working hard, you know, just grinding, just trying. You're making yourself God. You're making yourself God and you're making him support and not center. He says, I am the Lord your God. And the very first thing he asks us to do is to have no other gods before him. So here's the thing. He's calling us to a life of devotion, church, worship. And do you know that gratitude is not the same as worship? I can be thankful to you because you gave me the parking spot or you loaned me $100, but I'm not devoted to you. So you can be grateful for what God has done and not be devoted to who God is. He's saying, I I want you to be grateful, but I want devotion more than gratitude. Because if you worship me, you'll be grateful for everything. So that means when we gather in our spaces, that's why we have worship. That's why we come in this space. That's why if I'm a believer, it ought to upset my spirit to always miss worship. I'm going to just catch the sermon. But wait a minute. Anybody can read the book. We start not focused our devotion. So when this hard word comes or the good word comes or encouraging, whatever it is that day, I have it in line with who God is. I want to be in worship. I want to be devoted to him. He must be my soul's obsession. Sometimes I stop myself and I say, what are you thinking about right now? Like something, you know, you always have something on your mind. Some problem you're trying to solve. Some kid you're trying to get their life together. Some relationship, some career, some job, some health thing. I'm like, what's on my mind right now? And then I ask myself, how much am I thinking about that thing and the resolution of it in light of how much I think about God? Because if I, if I think about that thing, and there are important things going on in our lives. I'm not trying to make life small. Health stuff, families, life is hard sometimes. But the bigger, the more energy I give those things, and I take away the energy from how I just think about God, you can tell the quality of my life by what my mind is fixed on. So all I'm thinking about is stuff I need to fix and stuff I need to do better at and what I need from God. And God just becomes like a little side thought. 
And so then my life reflects that because my mind is going to be indicative of the quality of my life. He says, I want you to think about me. Worship me. Worship me, y'all. I am. Listen, here's the thing. I was reading something and um, it was really good. And it was a person talking about, you know, writing your own story. And it's a cool thing now. Visions and vision boarding and vision board meetings and charcuterie vision board planning and it's just everything is a vision and have a plan and a purpose and a, all these things and everything we have a whole meeting have a whole group institute vision institute and it's just like everything is like trying to get all these things write your own story be your own author be y'all is nothing wrong with purpose and clarity but there's only one author that my bible says that jesus christ is the author and the finisher of my faith God, the father is the author of all that direction. So if I am going to participate, not write, participate in the story God has for me, then that means I can't make myself the main character. He's the main character. Have you ever talked to people and no matter what you say, somehow they insert themselves in your story? Y'all know people like that. That's why you're laughing. Some of y'all sitting next to them. So listen. You're just like, oh, my gosh, I had a flat tire. I was like, you know what? I had a flat tire. And what I did, I just went on over to discount. Time out. It could be anything. You'd be like, my friend got a pet elephant. You know what? I saw an elephant one time. And when I was, a, you're like, oh, my Lord, today. You know those people that no matter what you say, you just having the hardest time. They find some kind of way to insert themselves in your story. And sometimes they don't even match. you like, my friend just got a serious health diagnosis. And somebody's like, yeah, I got my fingernails are splitting off. And you're like, what? I, like, they just cannot sit and listen and acknowledge that they are not the main character of the story being told. That's what happens in our life, church. We just cannot sit and acknowledge we're not the main character. God says, I and the Lord your God have no other gods before me. Write no other story outside of me. Quit trying to be your own author. Quit trying to be the main character. What I write is going to be better than what you write anyway. This is, a, this is a call to worship. In the second commandment, he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Exodus 20, 4 through 6. He says, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or earth beneath in the water under the earth, don't bow down, serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Again, I don't share. Visiting iniquity on the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So this is not about art or symbols. This second commandment about creating idols is not about art or symbols. So if you super saved, don't go in on people who got a little cross around their neck or they got a picture of Jesus in their house. Listen, if you know Jesus had melanin and his, his hair was a little kinky curly, it's fine. Don't die on that hill. Nobody's going to heaven or hell based on what color Jesus' eyes are. We know what Jesus looked like. We know the kind of people he came from. Be good with it. Move on. We know his robe probably wasn't purple with satin trim. It's fine. That is not what God is talking about. I mean, sometimes we go in and go hard on so many random things, and you're like, really? This is what we're talking about right now? You're not talking to this person because they don't dress this way, or they don't say this thing, or they don't believe this thing, or they don't do it in this order? That's what we're talking about? The commandments are about heart issues. He's like, what's your heart like? I don't want you to build any other idols. And y'all may say, this don't even make sense, Jada. Ain't nobody building no idols. Well, it's ironic that he says this because just like 12 minutes later, the children of Israel, when they could not find Moses, they dumped out all their jewelry. And I'm sure they were just like us listening like, don't build nothing. Okay, cool, next. We're not building nothing. And guess what? The right circumstance happened. 
And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about, oh, here, take my stuff. And what did they build? A golden calf. For what? That did nothing. That did nothing. Took all of their resources and did not change their situation. That's what idols do. They take all your time and all your energy, and then they don't change anything. And if you think you don't build idols, if you have ever built your career, if you have ever built a house, you building out your closet, you building out your network, your connections. Some of us trying to build our kids, trying to make them be what we want them to be made in our image. False. Yeah. And we're trying to make them be all the things we weren't trying to create the perfect little kid. We're trying to create the perfect investment portfolio. We build things all the time and there's nothing wrong with those things. But he says they cannot be idols. And I know whether or not it's an idol by how much it controls my contentment. See, when that thing is failing, if my contentment moves in proportion to the failure of the idol, I already know it's not in God. When my kids mess up and the portfolio declines and I don't get the house I wanted and I can't find nothing because the devil is in this real estate market. If you're a buyer and a broker, I know you're blessed. Everybody else is struggling. But if you're, if you're in some place and you're trying to struggle, you're making it, you're tired of this thing, when that thing snatches your contentment, you need to ask what place it has in your life. Because everything in this world, including you, including me, is going to disappoint. We're, we're human. We're limited we will fail. But when I put all of my worship and adoration in that thing, I'll never wake up and say, my kids are my idol. I'm not going to say that. We're too smart to say that. So God is saying, you need to check your heart. Am I the Lord your God? Have you established something, created something that you're so proud of that you made it more important than me? Is your career so illustrious because you overcame all the odds and nobody in your family went to college and you did it and look where you are now. You've built that thing. Don't let it be your idol because God can use that thing for his glory. But if you give the thing the glory, then God can't use it. He said, don't make any idols. I don't want you to put anything together with your hands and with your mind and with your work because that's the wrong reflection. The right reflection says that at the top of my promotion, Jehovah God. On the day of my layoff, Jehovah God. The day I get pregnant, Jehovah God. Still struggling with infertility? Jehovah God. The day my friend gets engaged? Jehovah God. Still single? Jehovah God. Health diagnosis, good or bad? Jehovah God. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he sustains. Jehovah God. Jehovah God. That's what the world needs to say. See, that there is Jehovah greater than any scenario. He says no idols. Number three. Verse 7, he says, you shall not take the name of the, your, your Lord God in vain. Ooh. Mm. Sips tea. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, that word vain, it means worthless. Y'all say worthless. Deceitful. Empty. False. So he's saying, listen, quit playing around with my name. Basically. Now, profanity and the way we use God's name, y'all, is foolishness. It's foolishness. It has become so normal that we don't even realize some of the things that we are entertained by, participating in, and we're like, oh, that's just how they talk. Yeah, but it's irreverent. 
You wouldn't let somebody talk about your mom and your sister that way. And you letting somebody drop God's name attached to foolishness and profanity. And it's like, oh, it's funny. Is it funny? Is it? It's funny because we spend more time in culture than we do before God. So what happens is you make this subtle drift. It's not funny when you first came to Jesus. When you first came to Jesus, you were like, don't talk about my God. Do you know, do you know God is good? God, let me tell you about my God. You were ready to brag on God. And then the longer you stayed in, in, in your relationship with God but drifted in culture, then you're like, it's not that big a deal. You know, Christians be tripping. It's not that serious. We get it. But we don't because God says, if you understand my holiness, if you understood who I, you wouldn't say it to my face. You standing before me, you wouldn't say it. That means you don't think I'm present. That means you don't understand my omnipresence because I am here. And you're saying it like it's meaningless. And maybe you don't say it, but you're entertained by it. So you see it, shows, movies, friends, you're like, uh, it don't even make us, ah, uh, it ought to make us jump. Like, ah, I can't take it. That's God's name. But it's not just profanity. Y'all want to know the next one? Y'all don't want to know. I know. <laughs> Everybody's silent. Like, when is the close of this? Listen, it also means deceitful and worthless. So when we say things cavalierly, like, I feel like God told me. God said that I need or that you need. Or the Lord is telling me A, B, and C. Church, if you are not careful about saying, you know what? This is what I think the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. I didn't <laughs> gather up my Holy Spirit-filled community, been in this Holy Spirit-filled word. I think this is what God is telling me. This is the decision I'm going to make. Then when that thing goes wrong, it, it's you. It's not God. But when you say God told me, God will do. And we, we draw into things that speak God's declaration over us. People don't know us. Just got God's declaration for us. And yes, there are good prophets and there's prophecy. All that stuff is real. But when we use the name of the Lord in vain, when the thing that is attached to God's name fails, we associate that failure with God. So that means I'm not making his reputation great. I'm making his reputation poor. Because when the thing don't work out, I'm like, God, why didn't you? You were supposed to. And he's like, no, I'm not supposed to do nothing but be. And so you, you attach my name to something that originated with you. That's making yourself God. Using his name in vain. God told you. God told me you my wife. God told me you my husband. God told me this is my job. God told me. So this, this, is what, this is what we make God look like. I, this is a true story. Somebody got hired at a hypothetical institution. And um, they got hired because God told them to leave and come be here and, and get hired and relocate everybody and got hired. And then 30 days later, God told them to go back to where they were. So then they went there. And then a year later, God told them to move somewhere else. So here's the problem. When you just say, you can't just admit, I, I'm kind of in my feelings a little bit. So this is what I'm going to do. When you attach God's name to it, you confuse people. Because then they start thinking, does God change his mind like that? And then, and then I'm attaching God's name to something that's inconsistent with other parts of his character. So God told you to break your commitment? Wait a minute. So God told you not to prepare? God told you not to be excellent? God told you not to plant? So you, you create a lot of confusion. So then the world is just like, well, God said, God said, God said. They don't know what God said. 
Because we throw his name around on everything. If we want the final word, you don't want any feedback, you don't want no pushback, God told me. Then people are like, I can't, all right, well, I can't say nothing to that. What you going to say? What you going to say? No, he told me different. I mean, I'm not going to, if you tell me God told you, I'm like, hey, okay then. Well, go with God. <laughs> you know, if he told you, then he got you wherever you go. I don't know what to tell you. But he's saying when you do that and you make light of my name, then people don't understand who I really am. So don't take my name in vain. You take away the reverence of it. It's moving from a culture that the word Yahweh didn't even have the vowels. They didn't even want to pronounce Yahweh. It was just the consonant. So you, could just, you had to be like, Yahweh. It was just a whisper. Because men once upon a time didn't even feel worthy to say the name. They didn't feel worthy to say the name. This is the God who before Jesus required atonement for a priest to go into the holiest part of the tabernacle. Had to have a rope tied around his waist. Because if he came any kinds of incorrect, you were going to be dropped dead in the presence of God. And somebody had to drag you out. And they had to send another. And they had to do this over and over and over again. And sometimes in the permanent, perfect atonement of Jesus Christ, we forget the standard of a holy God. We forget that every time I believe on Jesus, I'm keeping myself from going into that holy place and being dragged out dead. That every time I choose the work of Christ, I'm keeping myself from trying to keep not just these 10, but the other four, 600 laws to try to be right with God. So the holiness is what we keep in mind when we think about taking the Lord's name in vain. Number four, he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is also about God. So you look at the commandments, y'all. The first four, they're about God. Five through ten is about the people. He's like, if you love me and adore me and worship me, devoted to me, your relationships will be right. So you don't have to spend all your energy, who's toxic, setting boundaries, what do I say to people, get people out of your life, they need to be for you, see who's in line with you, all of this stuff. He said, that's not the point of what your Christian life is about. And more importantly, you will relate better to people when you first relate right to me. That's why the first four, and if you look in your Bibles, you will see how much text is given to those first four commandments. A lot of detail. And then he popped through those, those last ones like, oh, and honor your mother and father, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery. He's like, boom, boom, boom. Because these should come once you're attached to a holy God. And he said, when you have confusion about five through ten, go back to one through four. Live there. And I'm going to give you clarity. In this fourth one, he says, I want you to keep the Sabbath holy. Y'all like Jada, I know that. Now, I know that much because I know we don't have to keep the Sabbath holy. We free from that. Let me tell you something. I know Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He was like, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Ooh, we get away from me. I got it. And so we get it. We don't have to follow the prescription of this law. But there's a spirit of the Sabbath that we do still need to keep. And this is about rest. Y'all say rest. Listen. We like to grind. We want that bag. He's like, rest. I want you to rest. You know why? He says, because the Lord your God rested on the seventh day. And I don't need rest because I don't get tired. I just chose to rest. And so now I want you to rest because I rested. When you rest, when you stop your striving and you stop your hustling and working, 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 trying to do 72 things and create some goals that God never gave you. He said, you making yourself your own God. Rest is humility. Rest counters greed. Rest says, I'm going to have to trust God. Because that's why he gave them daily bread. 
That's why manna came every day. It wasn't Monday manna for the next five days. He's like, every day, I want you to get out and gather. And if you gather too much, you know what the Bible says? It began to collect and spoil and begin to stink. Only on the sixth day would Moses say, go gather two days because God's going to drop two days full so we can rest tomorrow. Daily bread. He says, I want you to rest in me. And ultimately, it means we rest in the finished work of Christ. He said, the Sabbath means you're, I'm preeminent in your time. I'm preeminent in your energy. I'm giving God my greatest energy. And in the last few commandments, he talks about our relationships. Honor your mother and your father, which is number five. And I know that's a sore spot for some people. Some, some of us don't have honorable mothers and fathers. But guess what? God is like, when I'm your God, when you're devoted to me, I will give you wisdom on how to handle that poor mother and father that you had. Because I'm your first father. I'm the everlasting father. I'm greater than the best father you had. I'm greater than the weakest father you had. It don't matter. It's about my structure. It's about my order of authority. Just like in Romans 13, he says, submit to authority. Not because they write, but because I said so. And ultimately, you're submitting to me. So he says, honor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. Jesus clarifies this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, listen, anger is really the issue. If you think you better than somebody, if you got so much hatred, so much unforgiveness, that's really the issue. He says, go fix it. Don't even come to the altar. Go get it fixed. Shall not commit adultery. Matthew 5, again, gives us clarity. Lust, it's a heart issue. We're in a culture where I don't even know what X-rated means anymore. I don't even know if movies are really rated anymore because the stuff I see, I'm like, this. you used to need like a license and a social security card to come see this. We were sneaking in to stuff at 13 and 16 that now comes on Disney. I'm like, what in the world? There's no standard. Everything. I'm, so, I'm watching commercials. This lady on the beach in a bikini running and jumping. And I was like, what in the world is this for? It's for toenail clippers. I'm confused. How? How did we? Why do I need to see that to look at these clippers? I can't go to a, a sporting event because everybody is naked. We're so excited about this team. I'm like, y'all, it's everywhere. So don't think that this is just about some specific act in some specific location. God is saying the culture will normalize lust for you. Make you think it's regular. Think it's okay. And then wonder why our marriages are not sacred. Because we got lust everywhere we're turning. He says, don't steal. Some of y'all are like, no, nah, I don't, I've never stolen. Some of y'all are like, well, I used to, but I'm good now. It's Okay. Whatever your testimony. And, and listen, it may not be a thing that you steal, but again, if you are lining up with God, he'll show you your heart. He'll show you that your habitual lateness might be stealing time. You're not respecting people's time. It's not just your personality. He's like, no, you need to think about that. He'll tell you that you need to get your own Netflix account. Girl, you got HBO Max? Send me the... Uh He'll tell you that employee discounts are for employees. We don't want that part. We're like, wait a minute, Lord, you messed with my discount. If you couldn't do it in front of the authority, don't do it. Let God give you that extra $27. It's not going to kill you or you don't need it. He'll tell you the way that you're generous and you bless artists and authors is that you don't buy a book and share it with 10 friends. He says, no, you give. Let everybody buy their own book. Let everybody buy their own music. There's so many ways that we steal because we're like, it's convenient to us and it's small and it's minor. 
But God will check your heart about stuff that no one else will say to you. Because when he's Jehovah and when he's God and when he's the Lord, my God, and he's, he's no one's before him, no idols, it's just him. All the things I think I'm doing are minor, guys. That's not minor. Let me get your heart right. So no one is going to be able to figure out all the examples in your life. But the more you line up with God, the Holy Spirit is going to direct your heart. And lastly, in the last two commandments, he says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's house. All of this is because God is like, how are you going to lie against somebody when you were the liar and I redeemed you? How are you going to not give credit? I mean, if you like shade, that's cool. Shade can be a love language. I like to be a little shady petty with my friends. But I don't want to defame people's character. And we've gotten to a comfort level with some of the stuff we say in the comment sections. I'm like, who are you talking to? You wouldn't say it to their face. It's just this boldness in defaming people's character over the smallest disagreements. He says, don't do that. And lastly, why would you covet? I'm the Lord, your shepherd, you shall not want. If you covet, you think that I'm not good enough to you. When you're jealous and you can't rejoice with someone, you think that I'm withholding from you. But if you know who I am and all that I provide freely and lavishly, you'll celebrate when they get what you don't have. You'll rejoice. Because you don't even know the burden that comes with some of those blessings. You don't even want it. Just be glad with what you got. All of this church is simply a call to holiness. Holiness. And today I want to end a little differently. I want us to end with worship. And I wanted to sing a song. We kind of did a little throwback. Because you you can't find no songs about holiness. But I want us to think about that for just a minute. There's no checklist and no to-do list coming out of the message today. This is a heart check. This is God. Thank you for the privilege to represent you. Thank you for the privilege that I get to glorify you, reflect you, not because I'm qualified, just because you're good, just because you're God. God, will you show me in my heart where I'm not representing you well, where I'm not putting you first, where I'm focused on me, the wrong reflection. I want to focus on the right reflection. And so for a few minutes, I want us to just offer up ourselves to the holiness of God. Can you stand to your feet, Father?